0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining me today, we have Marae Ellsworth. Hi, are you there?
1: Hi. Hi. Yes,
0: yeah, you are. I could tell by the kokie frogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about them for any of our listeners who don't know. Uh, you're on the big island, but why don't we have you start by providing an introduction for our listeners of yourself?
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I live in Hilo now and I've been here for about seventeen years. I came when my when my own kids graduated from high school because they were born and raised in Guam. And I was in Guam for about seventeen years as well. Um, not all together at one time, but over time. And um I became an educator because I had a son who had special needs. And at the time, it was ADHD and petty mal seizures, but um, it later, you know, it turned out probably he's more Asperger's-y, as we found out as an adult. So being an advocate for my own son with special needs, I was one of those parents that was like going to the IEP meetings and demanding this and that for my son based on my research, and then I just said, well, if I think it's so easy, I should try myself. So I became a teacher. And it was a really good profession for being a single parent because I could also be with my kids more and be more involved with their lives. So um, so when they graduated and moved to Los Angeles, I said, well, a very practical thing would be to move to Hawaii because it's halfway. And I could go in either direction. And I know they need teachers there. So here I am. And... We are facing this pandemic, and I'm skipping way ahead because um, I just wanted to let you know why I got into this movement. Um, I have a lot of high-risk factors and health risk factors that would probably damage my body permanently, if not kill me. So I just was really facing a deep, deep fear because I have survived breast cancer, and I thought, how would I feel, or how would my family feel, really, if I passed away because of poor decisions of my employer? After surviving breast cancer, after surviving other ailments, and I just said, no, I can't let that happen. I can't let my family like mourn for me like that. So I just decided okay, I can make my own plan. So I've applied for American with Disabilities Act to get some accommodations to keep me safe, which would probably keep me distanced from my students. And then I just realized, okay, I have my own plan. Now, what about everybody else? Because I just couldn't face the idea of my colleagues passing away or getting sick. And I just thought, how am I going to talk to the students about, you know, one of their teachers' all of a sudden disappearing and we just find out she's in the hospital because Hilo's a small town and people are going to hear about it. So I was just thinking about the emotional impact on my students and how hard it would be to teach them, especially because we have to keep shooing them away from each other so they can't even like lean on each other's shoulder or cry if something horrible like that would have happen to anybody on campus. So just picturing all of these scenarios, um, I just thought, that's it. I got to do something. So here we are. I'll let you say something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. And that's how we met. Well, a couple of things I'm connecting to, what you said already. So um, you had said, you know, living in the middle between your children and so letting that be Hawaii. Um, The joke for my family is my mom, who's also a teacher, is in my parents live in Las Vegas. My sister lives in Myrtle Beach. And I live in Hawaii because we joke that we have to keep our parents between us. So <laughs> it's a it's a fun fun way that connects us in, in that in that way. You know, when you're talking about high risk factors, you're talking about the concerns, we're talking about a a global pandemic, something that none of us had prior to earlier this year experienced in our lifetimes. And so you know, as a resident, community member, educator by training, and also having uh, educators in my family, I'm very committed to making sure that teachers feel safe, that students are protected, and that our community stays protected. And so, yeah, I was excited to find the group, which is Hawaii for a Safe Return to School. So you talked to us about why it became important for you to help others identify their plan. Can you talk to us how... You went from that idea um, to gathering, you know, this grassroots movement of people to now, I think, 5,000, 6,000 people in that group, um, and maybe talk to us a little bit about the evolution. And then if you wouldn't mind, I think it'd be great to talk about your thoughts and your group's thoughts on where we are now.
1: Yeah. Um, so on July 12th, that was the day of, let me just go back a little bit. July 10th, I got my note from my doctor. Stating my my health status, so I was like, okay, I feel secure now. On the 11th, it was a Saturday. I went to I got up at four o'clock in the morning to attend the East Coast um, Organizers call um, with the Badass Teachers, which is a legitimate organization, by the way. And um, they started out with against the Common Core and the excessive standardized testing that was going on about six years ago under Arne Duncan. Secretary of Education. It was in the Obama administration. And um, we had a big movement, you know, where we literally just went to D.C. like a few summers in a row, had rallies, marched the streets, all kinds. So I wanted to tap into, you know, my brothers and sisters around the country who are in the same situation, but they just have a little more time because Hawaii was planning on going back August 4th, and most of these other schools go back after Labor Day, some a little bit earlier, but mostly after Labor Day. So they were really interested in what we were doing too, because they were like, "You guys are going back so soon." So I met with them at four o'clock in the morning, and then about ten o'clock that same day, I attended another national call. And these are the the organizers who did the Wildcat Strikes in two thousand eight. Did you hear about that?
0: No, I don't know about those.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of in the news. It started with West Virginia because these are red states where they don't have um, collective bargaining rights. So um, these union leaders—I mean, they're—they're they're not union leaders actually. They're not—they don't really have unions. They have associations, so it's just like a membership club. But it's not like collective bargaining where you know they have some clout to talk to the employer about the conditions. So they have fifty-six counties in. West Virginia, and they just all got together, and they went on strike, even though it was illegal for them to strike. And they did the whole organizing on Facebook. So these are some high-powered organizers. And then other states followed it like Kentucky and Arizona and, I think, Oklahoma. A few states, it was just like a wildfire across the country. And then UTLA was, like, the big one, which is Los Angeles. And they were on strike for a pretty long time, and they got a lot of their demands So these are these amazing organizers. And after those two calls, I was so inspired. I'm like, that's it. I know what to do. I need to just do it. I need to just make sure that this just does not happen. It's just not right. People are going to die for no reason because of stupidity, you know? So I said, that's it. I'm going to start a Facebook page. And so I got my friend who's a techie. She was working on it for me and getting it set up. And then somebody just randomly invited me to Hawaii for a safe return to schools page. And I looked at it and it turned out it was started by a parent. And I'm like, this is perfect because my strategy was going to be, I need to get all the parents that see the light and see the futility of the situation so that they can band together and get behind teachers because teachers are going to be like thrown into a war with no weapons. So sure enough, There's, like, parents on this page. There's teachers on this page. Some teachers are just there to, find, like, share notes and be like, how are we going to do this? But they're all, like, expressing this intense, intense fear and uncertainty. And the only people that aren't on that page are probably the teachers that are just, like, head in the sand. That's it. I'm just going to, you know, do what they tell me to do and hope for the best. But I just couldn't accept that. So... This page has blown up since July 12th. It has now have 62 mem- 6200 members, and we tell people if they start, like there's good conversations where it's like back and forth where people can, you know, say, but well, what about this? And even though it doesn't align with a lot of the things that we've been pushing for as a group, we let those discussions happen as long as people don't start like, throwing names at each other and stuff. And we're just like, hey, healthy discussion is good. We'll get the ideas that way. But, you know, let's keep it good and kosher and pono and all those things because, you know, we need to problem solve. This is a predicament. So the page has been incredibly active. And I just said, that's it. We've got to do something because this is all really good information and this is all really good support, emotional support for each of us. But we got to do something because we can stop this if we just band together. So we had two town halls online. One was on the 19th and the other was on the 20th. They were both in the evening. And it just so happened that, like, top union leaders in our state attended the first one. And they didn't really talk because they can't really say much without vetting to their board what the position is of their union, right? But they listened. And that's all you can ask is for somebody to finally just listen. And so the union came out the next day with a press conference, or the day after that, the Tuesday after that, after that Sunday, and they came out with a press conference announcing that, you know, they're just not ready and they're claiming they are. So we really just lost faith in Superintendent Kishimoto when she was making these public statements about how, all this training occurred, and we were ready to go. And we're like, what training? <laughs> we're the teachers. We didn't hear of any training. A lot of us have been seeking out training on our own just because we're like, how are we going to do this? But we never were offered training, you know, during the summer. I mean, maybe there were some on some website somewhere, but we're not, like, being emailed about it, you know? So we were just like, this is not right. She's not telling the public the truth. So we had to push push back, and we got we can't claim four thousand pages of testimony for the um week before last meeting because there was another push for um that h s j was doing, but I would say at least half of those pages of testimony were generated by our efforts from our group, and it was literally just pure organizing one oh one with a little creativity <laughs> mixed in. <laughs> and we just got the word it out and people wrote and it made the board reconsider the date and they said let's have an emergency meeting so we can actually vote on some of these concerns
0: okay. let me okay. ask you this question here and i or at least make this point or connection to what you're saying you know many of my friends are educators or teachers as you mentioned Uh, our allies, our brothers and sisters in other states, but Hawaii has a start date much earlier. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, are we the guinea pigs, are we the sacrificial lambs, or are we the state that has the right or the chance to do this right? We have some of the lowest numbers. um, And so I think when we hear these things nationally or on the news, it's like we have a lot of things in our favor, but you tapped into something which was we don't have a plan. So, we could you know and then definitely, our numbers are increasing as well, which is something to think about. But whether we have low numbers or whether or not we are you know saying that we're ready to go back, what's the plan and I don't think that anybody expects there to be a solid handbook on how to uh run a traditional American school classroom during a pandemic, but at this point, we are looking for guidance honesty, and transparency. So, you know, you mentioned the Board of Education, and I think it's important because listeners might not just be in Hawaii to uh, point out that our Board of Education is appointed by the governor, and we only have one superintendent for our Department of Education and one Board of Education. So it's this really huge entry access point or, or barrier. So maybe you can explain some of what it was like to even submit testimony, how that how that worked, and what parts you felt were helpful and what you're finding encouraging along the way. Because I know we mentioned the start date was supposed to be August 4th, but some changes have occurred. Yeah, after that Board of Education meeting, the core group of organizers for that
1: Hawaii for Safe Return to Schools page, we just decided we had to meet and do something else to follow up. So we said, wow, we got that much. At least we got an agenda. I mean, it's not voted on yet, but hey, if you look at that agenda, it was pretty much all we were asking for in our testimony. But then we're like, okay, so what do we want them to do? So that's when we came up with this four phase plan idea. And we said, we got to put this in a one page, easy to read, easy to understand what the main issues are, bullet pointed, colorful, something that would attract attention. So that it's just like plain and simple because right now the public is floundering and they're just like, what is the plan? Or they just hadn't checked yet because they just trusted that it would be fine. But um, when we came out with this flyer with the help of like a digital media teacher and, you know, (laughs) just pulling our resources, we have a scientist (laughs) who's a parent, you know, we just have like an English teacher. I mean, we just like jammed it intensely Here and there, in between our family duties and everything that was going on in our lives, we would just be on a Google Doc and keep commenting on each other's ideas until we came up with this four-phase plan based on everything we had read on our own page. So we tried to consolidate it into just something that made sense. And then we said, okay, for the next Board of Education meeting, this is what we want to put forward. So we just asked people who were writing testimony, if you could just please attach this plan And the plan, basically, they were trying to make it so that the first four days, which are traditionally two teacher work days to set up your room, get everything, you know, hooked up again, wiped down, basically. And then the other two days are, like, meetings, and we have to do all this, like, orientation and safety videos and all this stuff, and it takes, like, two days. So they wanted to just make those first four days the traditional thing, and then they wanted us to do this crazy – combination every school was different <laughs> either hybrid plan or fully and having the kids at school but teachers were given no choice we had to be in front of students like it or not there was no choice for teachers and we've got about 30 to 40 percent teachers that have major health issues like me so that was even more infuriating even to the parents whose kids were going to be fine because they just said, we'll just do distance learning, which was an option for them. But they were, like, horrified that teachers would be treated like this. So that really was an amazing alliance that we never expected. We didn't realize how parents do value their teachers because we're so used to getting kind of beaten down in a way, you know. So so it was really nice to hear. But this four-phase plan, what it does is it gives teachers more time to plan train on these new instruments, these new tools that we've never had before. And then have a phase two, which would be 100% distance learning, especially during these spikes, so that we can like hopefully calm the numbers down. Maybe even, or you know, if they are going to open tourism, open tourism for like a month, see if that goes okay without too many spikes. And then maybe, you know, but we never put specifically any dates in the plan because we were like, we shouldn't be living by dates. we should be living by benchmarks, and right now, there's just no benchmarks. It's like floundering in open water.
0: What kind of you know trainings are they talking about now because when when the when the meeting happened and the dates were extended, teachers are still working, so I think the the public if they didn't attend the the board of education are under the impression teachers don't start till August seventeenth, and that's
1: yeah, that's not, not the
0: case. <laughs> Do you want to clarify,
1: well, kinda of... What what maybe, so we put that plan forward. So basically, what we're saying is is DOE is trying to go straight to Plan Three, Phase Three. Excuse me, Phase Three. They're trying to go straight to Phase Three, which is either hybrid or full on, and just see how it goes, and then. Phase four, you can just go back to normal. And so we said, you're just going straight to phase three. We need a phase one, which is what's actually happening right now, and will be happening until the 17th, which is training. Now, the problem is is that DOE has been preparing some training for distance learning. We do not know what it looks like yet. In fact, I even caught some teachers chatting on Facebook saying, oh, my gosh, we didn't know that our plan that we did that summer was going to be for the whole state. (laughs) It's like freaking out because they're like, we just did it as like a project or something. They probably did it for some class, right? And so we have no idea what this training is going to be like. We have no clue. I think they just threw something together because, you know, sometimes they make us sign sign waivers if we create curriculum and stuff. And so they probably just grabbed from whatever they had. Who knows? They might have hired someone. They might have had this all planned all around. I have no idea. But teachers are completely in the dark, completely. We just know seven modules have been released, and we're to be watching them starting next week. That's it. But the thing that we're sorely lacking is the health and safety, which is the number one thing. You cannot learn, let alone work, um, if you are not feeling safe and you don't have your health. You just can't. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, if anyone knows what that is. You have to have your
0: basic needs met. Yeah, well, we can't do anything extra, fun or fancy, until we feel comfortable and safe in our learning and working environment. You know, you had mentioned some of the focus on health and safety or the lack of training around that. Um, I've seen online some teachers are sharing about the – disparities in the PPE that they've been provided. And what I've noticed, because I've tried to watch as many press conferences and listen to as many Board of Education meetings as possible, is I often hear statements like, um, adequate PPE has been purchased, but not necessarily delivered, disseminated, trained, stocked. And so um, I know that you currently have that exception for on campus, but do you have a sense of what teachers in your area or in the state are receiving with regard to PPE?
1: I know that at my high school, we have about 1,200 students. I have received a mask. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But other, stu- other teachers have received just various, you know, various supplies. But none of them said any of that stuff would last more than a month. So the problem is DOE's been so unreliable with delivery of things in the past that none of us trust that whatever their plan is will work in time, you know? And plus, okay, they don't have things worked out like the bathrooms, okay? They are planning on doing deep cleaning of the bathroom once a day. That does not work in a pandemic, you have to have an attendant at that bathroom and making sure that it's wiped down. Because if you ask kids to do it, it's great training, of course. But you can't expect a a student pilot to fly a jet of people. You know, you can't have a kid responsible for something that could literally spread a virus that is killing people. And when you say our numbers are low, I I would like to argue with that because if you listen to Josh Green. Um, he's explaining how it's the population in relation to the amount of tests they're giving in relation to how many of those tests are being pos- are turning out positive compared to the bed availability on our islands, especially the neighbor islands where they have really no hospitals for real. It's not like New York where they have 15 hospitals within a certain mile radius.
0: Right. We definitely, on a good day, already have a lack of doctors, nurses, and teachers. You know, um, I did listen to Dr. Anderson from the Department of Health today say that although today's cases were in the double digits, they're still increased um, over where we were the first five months of the pandemic. Um, I'm sure you've seen those stats. But he was asked the question of, are we seeing an increase because of more testing? And his answer was no we're actually seeing a larger percentages of the tests come back positive. So earlier it was 1% to 2%, and what I heard today was 3 to 5%. So I agree with you that when we look at them within context, it's, it's not really appropriate to say the numbers are low.
1: No. That's the thing. And it's very deceiving to the public who are just not really fully paying attention. And I can understand a natural, you know, it's fight or flight, right? So there's going to be people like neighbors around me. I can hear them partying, you know, I can see their activity in and out and how many families are visiting. And there's people that are just like, I'm just going to take my chances because I got to live my life. I got to have my summer. And they're just acting like normal because yeah, they'll wear a mask in a store, but that's just because they won't be able to stay in a store without a mask. But without some good public education, In the community, I mean, teachers have a really steep upward battle, you know, because I'm seeing the kids cruising around in the community the few times that I go out. And even if they're wearing masks, they're right next to each other, practically shoulder to shoulder. And they are all from different families. And I saw this on campus yesterday, and I ended up like saying a bad word to a teacher because I was so frustrated and I never do that to my colleagues and I had to apologize because he wasn't wearing a mask and I called him on it and it's just like I don't want to turn into the Gestapo of school just because I care.
0: Well, and I think you bring up really important points to the board of education was discussing whether or not there should be a mask mandate. And although there was some back and forth discussion, I think the determination ultimately was, was no, was that it's at the teacher's discretion and that the intention is such. And then that was worded in a particular way. And I think for teachers who feel that they need that, uh, because that's what's stated globally, you know, to be safe, um, if it's not a policy or if certain teachers or coworkers or colleagues, not, you know, not just the students are going to have, they're going to have different levels of adherence with it. And if there's not a strong rule, then it does sort of feel like people are going to be policing, which adds in this whole other level of anxiety, um, yeah. stress and tension with our colleagues and with our students on a public school campus. I know some parents have said, um, for children who have medical needs, who cannot wear the, the the mask, but maybe there's other things like the shields or additional distancing, or maybe they're not coming into the school campus. Um, but they were worried that if their child can't wear a mask, not just what another student might think or feel, but how teachers feel. And I, what I was hearing from them was they understand that. Because we're all feeling a lot, well, many of us are feeling a lot of those feelings. And I think, you know, even when I'm seeing the people out, when well, the few times I go out, like you said, some people want to access their summer. Some of us want to pretend like this isn't happening. I think all of us would like for it to not be happening. I'm not sure right. that pretending helps. Um, but when we look at going back to schools, it's quite interesting that it seems like the gathering limitations and numbers apply to everywhere but a school. Tonight I was driving just to get a change of scenery and I saw an outdoor church service and everyone was spaced and wearing masks and I thought it was quite interesting. I just drove right by it but I thought you know look at this group of people probably 10 to 15 people very um, respectfully laid out and situated and I thought we don't have that same luxury with our schools, and so schools are not going to look like that. What are no. your thoughts about those restrictions being applicable outside of schools but what what in your mind is what makes a school different?
1: I think that um in a high school, because I've been working in high school for many years, these kids um you know they hear the stories of their parents and their grandparents of when they were in high school, and so they want the high school experience. And I feel that kids in college are feeling the same way. Um, They're feeling cheated, like they're not getting the experience that they were promised in our culture. And they saw the graduation last year and they were just like, now I'm a senior. I don't want to, I want to have a real graduation. Like that's kind of how they're thinking. And so there's a lot of resentment in the kids. And then I'm also really nervous because I can just imagine because I have some really good and you know, obedient children that, you know, will do, they will follow all the rules and they'll be sitting in class and when there's one kid who, whose parent somehow got a document that said they don't have to wear a mask or maybe they really don't, you know, really they can't really handle having a mask. How are the students who are wearing masks going to feel? And I'm going to be the adult in the room. You know, trying to navigate all this. And I just don't think, I mean, we can't even get the kids to keep their hats off, okay? It's a rule in my school. I don't really like the rule. And I keep telling the kids, make a petition and change it because I'm over it. But I said, you guys, it's a rule. And they just cannot almost every day. I mean, it's a struggle. And now with these ear pods and such, like, do you know how hard it is to get them to stop, at least take the ear pod out? It's so easy for them to hide under their hair and stuff. I mean it's going to be a constant battle even if we were to succeed. We have horrible ventilation in these rooms, horrible. And to top that all off, I mean, I heard this horrific story from a from a teacher who works in a um classroom what they call a self fully self-contained classroom for severe disabilities. And this one student who has severe cognitive disabilities, he just ran out of the room during summer school, and all of the adults were like, what are we supposed to do? Like, we don't have PPE on. Are we supposed to grab him? Like, they were so stunned because there's no protocol, no guidelines, and no training. And so they're going to train us on distance learning. If they just train us on distance learning, say you're going to go distance learning first and we'll figure out the other stuff later, that would be acceptable. That would be doing the four-phase plan that we're bringing forward. But they're saying that we're supposedly going to have the distance learning training, transfer everything we've known in our careers online, and have the health and safety protocol training in two weeks? I don't think so. I just don't think so. It's so unrealistic.
0: (laughs) Hawaii is known and in many ways admired for its, you know, take the scenic route to get something done. Uh, It leaves a lot to be desired when we're talking about health and safety of our systems, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, interesting that you should share that story because I've actually heard parents (laughs) who've had concerns and I'm imagining it's probably not the same students, but those things come up, right? If a student isn't wearing or isn't able to, or if the staff need to be within close proximity, what additional levels of protection do they have? If, if hands-on are needed, like you were saying, in the issue of a safety, you know, people are thinking twice, they're pausing with potentially a child running out in a parking lot, not necessarily in your situation, but it's like, well, there's that invisible car coming at you called COVID too. And so the fears are very real. And what I heard from the parents who were sharing concerns was like they understood. I mean, they, of course, need their child safe and they want the teacher safe too, but I think that's what you were saying earlier. It's that shared sense of we want the community safe, right? <laughs> like what good is, is it if the child's safe and the teacher is sick because then the child's not safe either. So I think you're right that parents are really looking at Um, the ones i'm speaking to how do they support teachers so that's a question for you how does the community right now support teachers what can we do because at this point i am just about done with 10-hour board of education meetings per week so are there um testimony can still get put in people don't have to attend to give written testimony and i know you um, and your group have done calls for testimony as you mentioned but what else can the community do right now to support teachers and to support a safe reopening of our schools here in Hawaii? Well, I mean, I don't know what
1: it's going to take. I just hope it doesn't take deaths, you know. But we've had so many ideas of different kinds of ways to proceed from here because we really thought that they would at least do the distance learning as in the time being. And work things out but because they seem to be going full speed ahead I mean I've heard parents on Facebook saying well why don't we just go for the hybrid and then on the day because like at my school you only go to school one day a week and the rest is online so I don't really know why that's worth it for one day a week but anyway um (laughs) so so I just feel like um, what some of the parents were saying is they wanted to keep their kid absent for that day that they go on campus, and that would be a way to protest, so just nobody shows up. And I was like, wow, if you guys could pull that off, parents, I would be eternally grateful. That's all I can say. So that's an idea, but I'm not a parent, so I don't know what I can do to lead parents. They would have to want to do that themselves for the teachers and the situation, for the community. Because if we're we're making an exception to the gathering rule for schools only, the schools are going to literally be the hub and it's been said the Petri dish of the communities, period. Because that's where all the interaction is. And that interaction doesn't end on campus. It peters out into the community. And so by not... Recognizing the potential danger, we're really endangering entire families and communities. We're not just endangering the people on campus. And I don't know why the Department of Health seems to be operating from this feeling that kids can't spread it because it's already been proven that they can.
0: Right. We're just seeing more and more information about that. And and we have learned, you know, the night before a a board of education meeting here about the summer school cases and the cases on campuses and schools they're not naming, which just adds to the public concern and distrust, which isn't going to help people feel safe. Parents, teachers, administrators, kudos to the principals and the administrators who also submitted testimony. I I really want to speak up and say thank you to the teachers, too, because that took a lot, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of fears, a lot of worries. And when we saw, when I saw administrators do it, too, I think that was really giving that clear message that what is being shared publicly is not the experience of the principals, of the teachers, of the educators on our campus. And so if the public is feeling and hearing that there is disagreement, Um, on even the truth or on the facts, then I think that um, that's in some ways how we're going to, I think that honesty is how we're going to generate support for continued transparency. So yeah, we don't have to have all the answers, but you and your group have created a space which allows creativity to exist and collaboration to occur in a way that I'm not sure our state would have done or had done otherwise. So we're going to keep it up, and for anyone who's interested, it's it's the Hawaii First Safe Return to Schools. Before we end the podcast today, again, I want to thank you so much for joining and for sharing and for explaining. Are there any other tips, um, last-minute um, shout-outs or anything that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I just think that, uh, that um, what we really need to do is come together, because one thing I'm proud of in our state is, I you know, I'm in touch with these these movements around the country, and I have not seen what is happening in our state. We've had some amazing people on the page link us up with healthcare professionals. And so we've been, um, they have, ever since the pandemic started in our state, they've been having meetings, and it started out daily to support each other because they weren't getting the PPE, and they were petrified themselves. So they can totally relate to what teachers are going through right now. And so we've been meeting with them. And so we're building this amazing alliance with healthcare care professionals. And we're not just talking nurses. We're talking physicians. We're talking dentists and people who are all on the front lines. And because they can sympathize with what we're facing so well, they're just, like, supporting us. And we're just working together. And then we were on a, a show from Kauai um, with two retired um, police investigators and they are interested in helping our cause. In fact, I heard the other day they just raised like a couple thousand dollars just on their with their listeners for PPE for schools in their communities. So when we see the different elements of the community coming together, I mean, now we're seeing firefighters and EMTs getting cases if they came and joined us, if we just joined all these people together and just said, "Hey government, We have some ideas for you. Can you please listen? I think that would be a wonderful future. That's what's giving me hope.
0: Hey, government, are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) Funny, not funny, but, you know, I laugh because I often remind myself and others that in the advocacy work that we've done here in the state is that the Department of Education is a system and it's made up of people and people engage in behaviors and behaviors can be shaped, conditioned, reinforced, or extinguished, right? And so it's that idea of there isn't um, this big, bad behemoth. It is individuals on a board of education, and they can be compelled with um, high quantity of testimony, right? So I know the board chair had mentioned they had never had a 1,000 people attend before, but what they hadn't mentioned is that they had also never done virtual before, and, right. and so, you know, I think maybe there are some of those pieces that we can recommend they continue. Another recommendation hey, government, Board of Education, if you're listening, is to not schedule these during the working day for teachers so that they can attend without having conflicts, right? So, That's there are definitely long-standing, a long standing <laughs> issue with us activists. <laughs> Well, I know because uh, I I have been to many of those meetings um and it's middle of the day across the island in the middle of town no parking sometimes they change locations not very available for neighbor island folks all sorts of things but again those are some things that maybe can be revisions and enhancements with our system that we've now all had a crash course training in but the future of of what we do for our children and our teachers shouldn't be a crash course so thank you so much thank okay. you so much for the work good
1: night
0: that <laughs> thank you
1: too. good night good, <laughs> good night, night. <laughs>